Would you please pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorified in your sight, for you, O God, are our rock, and you are our redeemer. Amen. When I was little, I remember being sick with some sort of stomach bug and my parents keeping bedside vigil, taking turns putting cool washcloths on my feverish forehead. And late in the night, I remember waking to be sick and the garbage can being just out of reach, I remember my dad cupping his hands to hold my sickness. And I thought in that moment, this is what love looks like. Love is holding the messiest of someone and not fleeing or flinching. This past weekend, our daughter Eliza caught her first cold. And in a normal world, it would have seemed miraculous that our almost 10-month-old had made it this far without a sniffle. In our world of masks and hand-washing, she's largely been blissfully ignorant of the germs that we have all known until this last week, when a little boy came to daycare under the weather and Eliza, too, came home with a cold. At night, she couldn't lay flat, unable to breathe in her stuffiness, and so, like my parents before me, Dan and I held vigil, holding her little body upright close to ours as we rocked so she could breathe so she could sleep. And I thought as I looked down at her, this is what love looks like. This fourth Sunday of Easter, as we celebrate Christ's resurrection and the lessons the risen one has to bring us, lessons we've seen of doubt and faith, lessons of embodiment where fish is cooked and bread is broken and a cup is poured out abundant. Today, we see lessons that Jesus makes explicit, lessons that are woven into the very fabric of our faith. Jesus makes clear what love looks like. In the gospel reading for today, from the gospel of John, we hear about love looking like the good shepherd who is willing to risk their life for the lamb. And here in this sermon from 1 John, it is made explicit what love looks like. For love can be seen with our eyes. It is an action. It is a verb. Love is not just about the words, the things that we say. Danny Harmon and I have been meeting with our 8th grade confirmands this past week. And I tell them again and again a quote that I heard when I was a confirmand that still speaks near and dear to my heart. That we should preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use our words. That our lives themselves should be a witness to holy love. And today, this sermon is really one that builds. See, first John calls us to explore what love looks like within our small interpersonal bubbles. Really, 1 John, when talking about this concept of love, he was talking about the ways it exists or existed within this specific early Christian community. 
but we know that the gospel is about so much more than that. And we can take the lessons of 1 John and ask, given these principles, what would an ecology of love look like? I was listening to a native scholar speak recently about the loss of indigenous languages. And in this interview, she was sharing how in her language, there was no word for love. And she reflected that when she went to public school for the first time, she heard all these white kids talking about love and, and she became a little bit sad. She came home to her mother and asked, why do you never use that word? Why do we never say, I love you? To which her mother replied that love was so ingrained in their actions that the word was unnecessary. She said, when I make you breakfast every morning, I'm saying, I love you. When I talk about the streams and the trees, I'm talking about love. It is not separate from our beings. It's not a part from our being. It is a part of our being. Love is not something that's separate. It is woven into and through all things. This feeling is so true as we read 1 John and hear of a God who is love. Not something separate or apart, but apart. The source woven into all things. Now I invite you to take a moment and to breathe deep. And to think about love in your life. Think about the places that it has existed. Maybe a time where you felt it especially. If you'll feel comfortable, I invite you to share that out loud. Does anybody have a moment where they've felt love specifically in their life? Or maybe a person or a thing? Any love? <laughs> The smell of tulips in spring is love. Yes, amen to that. Where else is love? Yes, yes, getting to be with your 96-year-old mother-in-law again and the close bonds that those hold. That is love. Where else do we find love? Yes, when our sister, <laughs> I love that. Don't tell the teachers, but when your sister completes your homework for you, right? That is love. Maybe we feel love in our pets. Maybe we feel love for our parents. Maybe we feel love in the beautiful sun that shines and reminds us what hope can look like. This is where we find love. Love is a part of our, our human relationships, of those who are closest to us, our sisters, our mother-in-laws. Like me remembering my dad all those years ago, or me thinking of Eliza now. But this week, as we celebrate the beauty of God's creation and this Earth Day, whoever said the tulips over there, that is so right. It is so much bigger than just our interpersonal relationships. And I found myself thinking about the Earth and thinking about creation and wondering more and more about this ecology of love that Christ calls us to in 1 John, and that 1 John points to. It's more than our human relationships, though God knows it's there too. 
It's an ecology of love in which all of creation is invited and we are part of that system, not superior but codependent participants. It is an ecology of love that Christ holds us, calling us beloved, reminding us that part of that commandment to love God and to love our neighbors is also to love ourselves. It is an ecology of love in which we care for one another. It is an ecology of love in which we are beneficiaries of gifts often unseen and unknown and unacknowledged. Trees pouring out air for us to breathe, the birds and the spring peepers calling us to remember the resurrection in their spring songs. It is the ecology of love that reminds us how to live. Every year I make a very feeble attempt at a garden. <laughs> Those of you who know me might know I have secret dreams of being a homesteader somewhere. I don't know where this comes from, if it's like biologically passed down from my pilgrim forebearers, but every year my hopes of eating off of our very shaded yard are unrealistic. And yet still, I plant a garden. And I plant it in part because it teaches me lessons that I need to learn year after year. And this ecology of love is found in my plants. It tells me about letting things happen in their own time, that no amount of working harder or watering my seeds more will allow them to grow faster. No, in fact, often rushing them, I have discovered, kills them. And I've wondered how often my own rushing has led to my own waterlogged soul. The ecology of love teaches me about the need to celebrate things in their specificity. I cannot treat my tulips the same way that I treat my kale or that I treat my squash. They need specific things. God created each unique and wonderful. But my squash will die if it wished that it was cold water hardy like my kale, and my tulips will rot in the ground if I plant them when it is convenient for my timetable, instead of taking my spade into the cool fall ground to plant them. Can we give ourselves permission to nurture and tend ourselves with that specificity? Can we make room for others to do the same? The ecology of love teaches us of our interdependence. We thrive because of one another in ways that are impossible alone. And we know and can see where the ecology of love has been broken, where some communities have access to good, healthy food while others live in deserts of convenience stores. We see where the ecology of love has been broken in the militarization of our society that has led to the killing of children on our streets and within our schools. We've seen where the ecology of love is broken, where access to education and health care are dependent on a zip code, where those living most on the margins are those greatest affected by climate change, where fires rage and spigots run dry while others are drowning in rising seas. We see the broken system in silent streams, 
in what we once have lost and will never get back, parts of God's creation that are gone forever. There is work to do to build back that ecology of love. And we can hear the call in our scripture today from 1 John, that this ecology of love takes intentionality and it takes sacrifice. But as we saw this week, as cops were held accountable and communities began to breathe hope for justice, as world leaders began to meet and make pledges to care for this precious world, we can build back an ecology of love. What does, that even, what does love look like? It's about our deeds and our actions. Love makes concrete and tangible change for those around us. So let us love, First John reminds us, not in word or speech, but in truth and in action. An ecology of love is about being honest about the sickness and holding the messiness of ourselves and others. It's about caring, intending, healing, and creating. This ecology of love within ourselves, within others, and within the world. And in doing this, in doing this in the world, may we feel ourselves abiding in God and God abiding in us. I grew up, <laughs> I grew up in an I love you family. Before heading off to school, at bedtime every night, just because the sun was shining or because the sky was cloudy, we said, I love you. And now with Eliza, we tell her again and again of our love for her. But I pray that our love not only comes from our lips, but that our love comes from our actions, that it is lived, that she may see and know and feel what love looks like. I pray the same is true for how I respond to God's holy love in the world. May I say it, yes, but may I also embody it in such a way that others, too, will know what love looks like. May it be so for you and for me. Amen.